Take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. Spanning the continent to bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform. I smoke pot and I like it a lot. CannabisRadio.com presents The Russ Belleville Show The voice of the marijuana nation Hey, this is great, man Now, here's your host Radical Russ Belleville Good day, Tokens and Tokens And all token lovers of liberty It is Monday, April 11, 2016 And it's got to be 420 Somewhere in the world Thanks for joining us So glad you could be here Get my microphone dialed in. Make sure you can all hear me. Another great week, and uh, this begins what is going to be a very busy next six weeks or so for the Russ Belville Show. Stayed up late last night getting all the flights booked between now and June, and I won't be back here in beautiful legal potland, Oregon, for about six weeks. I'll be completely on the road, and I hope you'll join me as I bring you live coverage of so many great events coming up uh, on my calendar. Uh, we've got the uh, NCIA Oregon Caucus tomorrow I'll be checking out. Uh, Wednesday, Blazers versus Nugs. Thursday, flying to Washington, D.C. Friday and Saturday, the SSDP conference in Washington, D.C. Sunday and Monday, tabling in New York City at the Mark Kleiman Summit. Uh, Tuesday through Thursday over the 420 holiday there, the United Nations General Assembly in New York. Friday, I hope to make a visit to the headquarters of High Times Magazine. Saturday, get on a train, uh, or get on a plane back to Oregon for Sunday, the Oregon Marijuana Business Conference, Tommy Chong, Dr. Carl Hart. Monday, make my way to Raleigh, North Carolina for the Unity Torch going from North Carolina to South Carolina to Atlanta, Georgia. The following week, Sunday, May 1st, Miami, Florida. We'll spend a week in Miami. Uh, that weekend, the uh, Global Canvas March in Fort Worth, Texas. Then back to Florida for the Orlando Medical Marijuana Business Conference. And then flying up to Alaska for the Northwest Cannabis Classic in Anchorage. And then Monday, May 16th. I'll finally be back here in beautiful legal potland, Oregon. Only for a few days, though, because then I fly out to Washington, D.C. for the normal uh, legislative fly-in and conference. And then the following week is the Aspen Legal Seminar. So that's June uh, before <laughs> we get to that Aspen Seminar. Like I said, lots happening. And I sure hope you can be a part of this. We're going to bring this to you free here on CannabisRadio.com live, 3 p.m. Pacific time every weekday except the weekdays that I'm on a plane. Uh, I can't broadcast from the plane. People don't like it when I do that. Even though there's Wi-Fi, I technically could do it. I could pull it off, I think. Uh, but we got a lot of stuff going on, and if you want to help support this independent marijuana journalism, uh, please make a donation through uh, my PayPal account. I'm Russ at RadicalRuss.com. And somewhere in my free time, amongst all of that, uh, I'm doing the redesign of RadicalRuss.com. There'll be a new VIP section. I've got all sorts of really cool things I'm going to be giving to you in that VIP section. You old 420 Radio VIPs will be grandfathered in. You'll be the first VIPs. You'll be my beta testers. It'll be a lot of fun. Anyway, enough about me. Let's talk about the show today. All sorts of great stuff going on today's show. Dr. Mitch Earlywine joins us for our cannabis Q&A, and there's so many new studies out. Uh, one on diabetes, pregnancy, male infertility, uh, the menstrual cramp story, and then, of course, the federal reclassification. We'll talk to Dr. Mitch about all of that coming up on today's show. Also, we'll have time for a radical rant. 
rant where I ask the question, should non-cannabis smokers be in charge of regulating cannabis? A very disturbing trend in the legal states that we're going to take a look at at the end of the first hour. Also, drug war data mining, we've got some polls in the United Kingdom on marijuana legalization. In Behind the Headlines, we hear from presidential candidate Ted Cruz, his uh, position on marijuana legalization and all that comes after the cannabis radio news and the headlines today we've got news from rhode island from colorado vermont california and ohio then stay tuned hour two toker talk radio you're the voice of the marijuana nation phone lines will be open at 971-533-7111 and we'll cover even more of the marijuana news two hours all for you coming up next this is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Keep your cannabis cravings under control. Feed your mind with CannabisRadio.com. The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber Vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be, the Vuber way. The smoke is rising, and the next crop of podcasts devoted to cannabis providers and enthusiasts are ready to be harvested. Welcome to the Cannabis Radio Network, founded by respected rainmakers who have been producing award-winning podcasts for over a decade. Industry headlines, business updates, medical reports, marketing, and e-commerce education rolled up perfectly for your consumption. Let's grow together. The Cannabis Radio Network. CannabisRadio.com You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. And if standing for the Constitution make you a wacko bird, then I am a very, very proud wacko bird. Okay. Maybe you're high, too. With over six years of experience in the industry, New Era CPAs is one of the nation's leading cannabis accounting firms, helping hundreds of growers, dispensaries, and ancillary companies with their tax, legal, and business strategies. New Era CPAs offices cover the West Coast from Seattle to San Diego, and their skilled team is always available to help you take your business to the next level. Visit NewEraCPAs.com for more info and set up a consultation. Welcome to the New Era. It's time for the Cannabis Radio News. Covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis, medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Cannabis Radio News is now available exclusively at CannabisRadio.com. Now your marijuana headlines in 4 minutes and 20 seconds. This is Cannabis Radio News. This is your Cannabis Radio News for Monday, April 11th, 2016. Providence, Rhode Island. 
The Rhode Island House Judiciary Committee is scheduled to hold a hearing Tuesday on a bill that would end marijuana prohibition in the state and replace it with a system in which adults can purchase marijuana from licensed businesses similarly to alcohol. Shortly before the hearing, a marijuana market researchers, business owners, and entrepreneurs will join Regulate Rhode Island for a news conference to discuss the legislation's potential to foster new businesses and create thousands of jobs in Rhode Island. H-7752, known as the Marijuana Regulation, Control, and Taxation Act, would make possession of limited amounts of marijuana legal for adults 21 years of age and older, and it would establish a tightly controlled system of licensed marijuana cultivation sites, testing facilities, and retail stores. Denver, Colorado. A new Colorado law allowing medical marijuana use at public schools is getting a second look Monday in a House committee. The current law allows students who need medical marijuana to use edible pot at public schools as long as the school districts agree. No school districts currently do agree, so patient advocates are pushing the bill to make Colorado the second state to require schools to allow nurses or parents to administer medical pot. New Jersey made the change last year. School officials say they're being unfairly asked to accommodate an activity that still runs afoul of federal law. This year's update, for example, gives schools no guidance for the possibility of a student grabbing a cannabis treatment away from a parent and rightful patient on a school bus and taking it themselves. The parents counter that medical marijuana shouldn't be treated any differently than Ritalin or other controlled substances that are routinely dispensed by school districts. Montpelier, Vermont. A Vermont marijuana legalization study was just called by a Vermont House committee. A House Judiciary Committee voted 6-5 to five for a commission to study legalization. It stripped out provisions expanding decriminalization, keeping those sections of Vermont law largely where they are. Critics say the House bill still goes too far because it calls for the study commission to propose a system to legalize, tax, and regulate marijuana. Under current law, possession of up to one ounce of marijuana draws a civil fine, but not a criminal charge. Cultivation remains illegal. Earlier this year, the Senate passed a bill that legalizes possession of up to one ounce of marijuana, but doesn't allow cultivation. Sacramento, California. The first head of California's new Bureau of Medical Marijuana Regulation has never used marijuana and doesn't know anyone who does. In an interview with the Los Angeles Times, newly appointed medical marijuana czar Lori Ajax, the former chief deputy director of the state's Department of Alcoholic Beverage Control, said, quote, Unlike regulating alcohol, I'm not a user of marijuana, so I am not familiar with how that affects people or what it does. But from the outreach I've done since I've got here, it appears there is a medical need, and I'm tasked with doing this, and I'm going to do it, end quote. The Republican Ajax does not recall how she voted on the state's medical marijuana initiative, Prop 215, in 1996, and says she has no friends or relatives that use medical cannabis saying, quote, I have heard stories, of course, and through my meetings I've set up with industry groups and with legislators, I've heard stories of how it helped folks with cancer, end quote. Columbus, Ohio. Ohioans for Medical Marijuana announced Monday that it has formed a campaign team to support its initiative to establish a comprehensive medical marijuana program in Ohio. Brandon Lenaw, a veteran of more than a dozen state ba statewide ballot issue campaigns, will serve as campaign manager. Lenaw most recently served as campaign manager for No on Issue 3, which led the effort to defeat the Responsible Ohio Marijuana Legalization Initiative last year. 
Lena's support for establishing legal access to medical marijuana stems from his experience with a close family member who suffers from epilepsy. Ohioans for Medical Marijuana also announced the addition of Trevor Vessels as Deputy Campaign Manager, Aaron Marshall as Director of Communications, and Lee Roberts as Political Director. This has been your Cannabis Radio News for Monday, April 11, 2016. I'm Russ Belville. From dads to chivas, sativas to indicas, we roll out a whole concentrate of fresh new content every week. It's like going from the greenhouse to the dispensary. CannabisRadio.com Northwest Alternative Health, Eugene's premier medical marijuana clinic, is proud to sponsor the Oregon Marijuana Business Conference. Are you prepared for the changes in the recreational and medical marijuana markets? The OMB presents the state's top industry experts, along with over 40 exhibitors, and features a keynote by Dr. Carl Hart. Also, tickets include a celebrity interview and private after-party with the one and only Tommy Chong. Join us Sunday, April 24th at the downtown Eugene Hilton, and be a part of Oregon's fastest-growing industry. Check out OregonMBC.com for more details. It's time. It's time. It's time. It's time for marijuana sales to take place in regulated businesses and stop taking place in our neighborhoods. It's time to create rules for testing and labeling marijuana so that consumers can know what they're getting. Prohibition has failed. It's time for a more sensible approach. Vermont is ready. We're ready. We're ready. Vermont is ready. It's time to end prohibition and regulate marijuana in Vermont. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. Don't want to spend money on a night out, but don't know what to do other than watching TV or playing video games? Consider playing guitar, bass, banjo, or mandolin. The instrument will give you hours of entertainment with friends with minimal expense. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension, downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today, or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. The world of cannabis is evolving at a frenetic pace. The Russ Belleville Show gets behind the headlines to take a deeper look at breaking news in our Cannabis Focus. Today in the Cannabis Focus, we take a look again at the 2016 campaign for president. Usually we're talking about Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders on the Democratic side, and the difference between the two on marijuana is pretty stark. Bernie Sanders is completely for federal descheduling, end any federal care about marijuana and leave it up to the states, whereas Hillary Clinton supports a more federal approach to reschedule to Schedule 2. But this time, we're going to take a look at the Republican side, where Ted Cruz has been uh, gaining ground on Republican frontrunner Donald Trump, winning the last few Republican primaries. And we live in a very interesting time where all of the major candidates still left for the office of president support at least a state's rights version of marijuana reform. That is, don't make it a federal issue. Let the states move forward with medical or recreational legalization. Ted Cruz is in Colorado, where he is fighting uh, to win that state's uh, primary or caucus. I'm not sure which they have there. But uh, he told the ABC station, he was at the ABC station in Denver and uh, left us with this interesting response when asked about Colorado's marijuana legalization. This is Ted Cruz speaking to ABC7. 
I'm a constitutionalist. I've spent most of my adult life fighting to defend the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. And under the Constitution, under the 10th Amendment, most policy decisions are left for the states. When it comes to drug legalization, personally, I would vote against marijuana legalization. If the state of Texas had a referendum on it, I would vote no. But I think it is the prerogative of the states to make that determination. I think the people of Colorado have the right to make the decision that they've made under the Constitution. And, and as president, I would respect that right, that the people of Colorado have made a decision. Other states may make different decisions. And, and let me note, that's one of the biggest differences between liberals and conservatives. Liberals, big government liberals like Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton, want Washington to decide a one-size-fits-all answer for every American. They try to force it on you, whether it's marijuana policy or whether it's health care, Obamacare, one-size-fits-all for everyone, or whether it's education, common core. So it's a very revealing answer from Ted Cruz, and I think that uh, marijuana legalizers, reform-minded people, should be very careful about embracing this response. I, I've, I've heard a few that are like, wow, Ted Cruz supports states' rights for marijuana. This is great. Well, yeah, considering the context that we're talking about, Republicans are usually all for sending in the DEA and sending in the troops to you know, bust people for weed, but Listen to the end of that quote and how he's talking about education, Common Core, and he's talking about health care, Obamacare. This Republican embrace of states' rights when it comes to marijuana legalization, you've at least got to give it to them in that it's ideologically consistent with their view of the Tenth Amendment, their view of states' rights versus federalism. But beware what that states' rights argument is also being used for. For the Republicans, the states' rights argument on marijuana is kind of a throwaway argument because who are the states, which are the states that are going to embrace that? Like he said, if there was a referendum in Texas, he wouldn't vote for it, and he's probably pretty confident that Texas isn't going to vote for it anytime soon. So when the Republicans say things like that, they're thinking of the hippy-dippy liberal West Coast and the Northeast and maybe some of the Great Lakes states, but that their own states will be able to maintain their marijuana prohibition. And it's along that same line that they're using that 10th Amendment to deny women's right to choose, to set up these horrendous anti-LGBT laws in Mississippi, in North Carolina, uh, to set up this idea. They want, they want to be consistent about this, to set up this idea that if the majority of the people in a state or the majority of a government in that state doesn't like something, they have the right to do it their own way. I'm kind of in the middle on this one. I do believe in a robust system of states' rights. In fact, I believe more in the Ninth Amendment than the Tenth Amendment. A lot of people forget the Ninth Amendment. It says those just because it says uh, uh, the enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights is not meant to deny or disparage others held by the people. And what it means, I always say it's the we couldn't write them all down amendment. It's like people have a lot of rights, a whole bunch of rights that they're inalienable, they're they're bestowed by the creator, and we can't write them all down. You have the right to breathe air. You have the right to farm crops. You have the you know right to ride a bicycle or whatever it might be. Couldn't write them all down. The people have rights, even if they're not written down in the Constitution. And my belief is the right to medicine, the right to self-treatment, the right to do with your body what you choose are a few of those rights that aren't specifically written down, but certainly the people must have them. If we do not, we are not a free people. So I believe in states' rights. I believe in that to the extent we're talking about people regulating themselves. 
We start talking about people regulating each other. That's where I start to lose uh, ground with the Republicans on the state's rights argument. The argument that a state can force a woman to give birth or the argument that a state can deny basic services to gay and lesbian people and transgender people goes beyond what I would consider to be states' rights. That's starting to talk about state tyrannies or where a state's right usurps an individual's right. Look at yourself before you pass judgment. That's good advice, Mr. President. Yeah, man, I think the Ninth Amendment supersedes the Tenth Amendment. I think the rights of the individuals, their civil rights, supersede the right of states to ignore or do things as they choose. We'll talk about it more in Hour 2, Toker Talk Radio. We can take your calls if you want to talk about Tenth Amendment and states' rights. But right now, it's 420 in Denver, Colorado, so let's get it on. Legal to listen to all over the world. We're just not sure about France. Cannabisradio.com Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. Tommy Chong is ready to cut through the smoke and change the tone of Tilk Radio. I hope everybody's got their vape pen handy or their pipe or their bong or whatever you use to do your medicine. It's not a requirement. You don't have to be high for this show. Yeah, you do. (laughs) Okay. I don't know who you're talking to. You have to be high to do anything. At least I do. I don't know about you. In fact, I've been high so long that being straight is another high. The Tommy Chung Podcast, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome to my world. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Christian convictions are under attack as never before. Okay, maybe you're high too. New beginner guitars and banjos are often constructed much better than ones built before your time. Why struggle? Get a new instrument or fix the old one. The trusted professionals at the Fingerboard Extension will evaluate your instrument for free. Repairs are priced for people who work for a living. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. Promoting the end of adult cannabis prohibition is easy because we have facts, science, reason, compassion, evidence, truth, and logic on our side. It's even easier when researchers catalog it all for us. Learn how to gather the facts on marijuana use, arrests, seizures, rehabs, drug tests, and more on this edition of Drug War Data Mining. 
Welcome back, everybody. Today in the Drug War Data Mines, we take a look at some polling data coming out of the United Kingdom, where marijuana legalization is struggling to reach majority status in support, whereas here in America, we've had... Uh, since the past five years now, just poll after poll after poll shows majorities of Americans support marijuana legalization. When we take a look at the poll, this comes from the Orb, uh, from ORB for the Independent. They surveyed 2,000 people in the UK, and they found that 47% of the public supports the legalization of cannabis sold through licensed retailers. The remainder, 39%, are opposed to legalization, and 14% say they don't know. That's pretty large don't know on the issue of legalizing cannabis, uh, but it's good to see there's a plurality, 47 to 39, in support of market regulation. They did find the typical gender gap. Men support legalization in a majority, 53%. Women, 41% support. A 12-point gap, very similar to the 7 to 12-point gaps we find in U.S. polling between men and women. Social class, uh, when it comes to the top income brackets, 50% support legalization. 44% in the lowest income bracket support legalization. Uh, The regional support is highest in Scotland. 58% of Scots supporting marijuana legalization. Uh, London area, 54%. Northeast down just to 37%. Liberal Democrats in the United Kingdom have been pushing a proposal to legalize cannabis. They believe it could raise one billion pounds in uh, revenue for the United Kingdom. They asked also whether or not possession of cannabis should be decriminalized. A third of people said that should happen. One third said cannabis should be decriminalized. 14% said that cannabis should be freely bought and sold. So that's breaking down that 47%. So of the 47 that said it should be legal, only 14%, only 14% total think that it should be market regulation, whereas 33% just decriminalized. You can still get a ticket for that. They also asked people whether or not they had tried marijuana, and they found that... uh, 31% had tried marijuana and 15% had tried skunk. So folks, let me just translate this for you. This means 48% of the people have tried marijuana in the United Kingdom. They have, they think of cannabis as two different drugs. They think of cannabis as any sort of cannabis that is lower in uh, THC percentage, you know, 10% or lower, 15% or lower. And then they call skunk, hydroponically grown, uh, specially bred plants, or what we in America call marijuana, <laughs> that's above 15% THC. And there, the British tabloids have, for years now, led a uh, propaganda campaign against skunk, trying to scare the British public into thinking that it's not their father's Woodstock weed, or in their case... Uh, I don't know what's the equivalent for Woodstock in the UK. I'm not sure. But uh, it has been more successful a campaign in the UK than it has been in America. The potency argument in America really hasn't gotten much traction until the uh, introduction of dabs. And that now it's starting to get a little traction. In the UK, merely 15 or 20% THC bud has got these people freaking out. Now, they did ask people about... Uh, other drugs as well. 
They asked whether or not tobacco should be legal to buy and sell. 70% said yes. And whether alcohol should be legal to buy and sell. 83% said yes. And in another poll back in uh, last year, uh, YouGov did a survey of British adults' perception of drugs in which drugs they thought were the most harmful and least harmful. This is also a very interesting uh, point because of the case that uh, marijuana – Cannabis in the UK is thought to be uh, one of the least dangerous drugs, but alcohol is found to be less dangerous in the UK. It's it's amazing. You, you look at the graph that they've got put up here, and they organize this from the least harmful to the most harmful drug, at least according to the perceptions of people in the UK, and it runs from alcohol as being fairly safe, fairly or very safe. It's, a, it's about split as far as uh, safe versus unsafe. Uh, cannabis, more people thought it was dangerous, about a two-to-one margin. Laughing gas, a, another about a two-to-one margin, thought it was dangerous. Magic mushrooms is about a four-to-one margin. Tobacco, about five-to-one. Ketamine, ecstasy, LSD, methamphetamines, cocaine, and heroin was considered to be the most dangerous drug. This is very different from the results we get in surveys in the United States, where well over half the people understand that marijuana is safer than alcohol. That still has not sunk in to the people in the UK. And it would be our advice from across the pond that if they want to get people to support the legalization of cannabis in the UK, you've got to get them to understand that it is a safer substance than alcohol. And this may be a different sell in the UK. They have a whole different alcohol culture there with their pubs and, and beer and all the celebration they do around that. But the point will have to be made because as long as the British public thinks that marijuana is more dangerous than alcohol, especially if they believe this so-called skunk is more dangerous than alcohol, it's going to be very difficult to win their hearts and minds over to the idea that it ought to be a legally bought and sold commodity. But we know there's great folks out there with Normal UK and the UK Cannabis Social Clubs that are educating people day after day. And the longer we continue to post great results from the legal states in America, it's only a matter of time before the United Kingdom follows along and does the sensible thing and ends cannabis prohibition for adults. Stay tuned. we got Dr. Mitch coming up next with Cannabis Q&A on the latest studies on marijuana when we return. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Being green is good. Growing green is good. Making green is great. CannabisRadio.com. Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com, helping Gondrepreneurs grow. Normal stands for Responsible Adult Cannabis Use. If cannabis use is causing problems in your life, consider taking a break or seeking medical assistance. Consider ceasing cannabis use if you have a family history of mental illness. 
Don't drive or operate heavy machinery while impaired by cannabis use. Cannabis use is not without risks, even though the risks may be far less than those posed by legal drugs. The Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com, the national wildlife refuge for marijuana unicorns. Coming soon to a city near you, Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. Get all your cannabis accounting, legal, and compliance questions answered by their knowledgeable panel of industry experts who want to help your cannabis business boom. Whether you're a grower, dispensary operator, or a newcomer to the field, your cannabis business needs Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. For information on upcoming events, visit CannabisFinanceBootCamp.com. It's time for the Russ Belleville Show's Cannabis Q&A with Dr. Mitch Earlywine. Dr. Earlywine is a professor of psychology at the State University of New York at Albany and a leading author and researcher on cannabinoids and health who pins the Ask Dr. Mitch column for High Times Magazine. Get your questions ready in our live chat or call in to 971-533-7111 now. Welcome back, everybody. 32 after the hour. We are joined by Dr. Mitch Earlywine in Albany. How you doing, Dr. Mitch? Crazy day, but glad to be on the show. Thanks for being here, and uh, I hope uh, you're not still buried under snow up there. Is it still uh, all cold and wintry? It's funny because it all melted right on the day of my daughter's spot mitzvah. So oh, sweet. Well, wonderful. So glad to hear that. Uh, we've got all sorts of stuff to talk about. We want to remind our listeners that we are live here on cannabisradio.com. If you got a question for Dr. Mitch, the phone line is 971 533. 7111. That's 971 533 7111. And uh, if you've got a call, just call in and uh, we'll get that question asked. Or you can call in 24 hours a day and just leave it on the voicemail. We'll get to it that way as well. Before we get to all the latest studies, and there sure is a passel of them, let's talk about the big news from last week, which was this uh, hint from the DEA that they will give us an answer on what they might do when it comes to rescheduling marijuana. What is your take on that story? Do you think we're getting any good news? I'm I'm just not optimistic, Russ, and I feel bad even saying so. But the the fact that uh, we're getting so much hoopla about it, and then getting all built up, I'm I'm just worried that I'm going to end up disappointed. So it may it may be uh, complete paranoia on my part, but I, I'm afraid uh, we're we're not going to hear anything. Yeah, it's uh, a lot of people made. I keep seeing headlines and discussion about it, like the DEA is going to announce the rescheduling to schedule two. And I'm like, no, they're going to announce whether they made a decision. And if uh, history, exactly. if history is a judge, normal has sued a couple times. Ace has sued a couple times. And every time we do these petitions, they come back and say, well, FDA says it's not medicine. So we can't say it and we can't do it. And that's where we'll be. I mean, believe it or not, it even goes back to an old Tim Leary thing for the religious freedom times, too. I just, I mean, I feel like every time uh, it gets to them, they just don't want to be the ones to, to make the decision. Yep. DEA so. doesn't want to do it. Congress doesn't want to do it. President doesn't want to do it. Everybody wants, nobody wants to do it but us, the, the people. So, but let's talk so about. We'll uh, have to do it. Yeah, let's talk about the, the possibility, though. If it were to happen and we were to reschedule to Schedule 2, what changes, what practical changes would that make for researchers like yourself and others that uh, want to study cannabis? I, I hate to say it, but it would still be a pretty grueling pain in the ass. 
So Schedule II drugs uh, are known for still having high abuse potential, but they do have some documented medical use. And getting research uh, on those, which, you know, ironically, cocaine is Schedule II for some of the intraocular surgery, some of the eye surgery that people use it for and things like that. And it's still super hard, a lot of red tape. Uh, you have to have a safe in your lab or a special place where it's uh, stored, and uh, it's still a huge hassle. I would much rather see uh, descheduled, taken off there entirely, because then it would be more of an open market. I'm afraid switching things to Schedule 2 uh, is like a nice tip of the hat, and then they'll have an excuse to say, well, we already gave you something runaway. Mm. Oh, boy. Well, let's get to some stuff that may be more uh, uplifting. <laughs> there was another story yeah. that, that uh, got through the mainstream media, uh, spread like wildfire. And this was, uh, of course, aided by the celebrity of uh, Whoop- Whoopi Goldberg, who's announced that she's partnering with some old friends of ours uh, to put together a product uh, for women uh, to deal with uh, period pain, menstrual cramps, uh, a cannabis-based product. Then there was reports, uh, I saw some people poo-pooing this, saying, oh, there's not any real research or science behind that. So can you give us your take on marijuana for menstrual cramps and the uh, potential of Whoopi's products? So what's funny is uh, my student, Melissa Slavin, who was on your show about the menopause data, has just gathered uh, marijuana for menstrual cramps data. And at least on the self-report side, what a surprise, uh, a subset of women claim it's better than anything, and another subset claim it's pretty good, and also point out some of the other um, sort of stereotypical PMS symptoms, including problems, sleeping, irritability, uh, and stuff like that. It's, you know, it's not going to help with dry vagina, but otherwise, it it looks like there really is some promise. We just need to get those data written up and out there. Um, In the meantime, I think Whoopi's you know, going to have plenty of people who are willing to try once and see, and it could go, it could go wild. I'm looking forward to that. It's always disconcerting to me when I hear the attack of, well, there's not any research or science behind it. And we're like, yeah, we know (laughs) that's what we'd like to do. (laughs) Uh, Let's get to another story on the other side of the gender aisle. Marijuana may help treat male infertility. Dr. Mitch, I'm confused. They, they told me for so long that, that marijuana was going to kill my little wigglers. Now it's supposed to help? I was pretty stunned by the headline myself. So back in the day, there was one study done by Gabriel Nahas who was super down on cannabis, and he had eight guys stay in the hospital and smoke eight joints a day, and then sure enough claimed that uh, their little wigglers were not wiggling as well as they should be. There's clearly something going on there with uh, the CB2 receptor, and so uh, there ought to be a way for this to work uh, potentially in our own favor. Um, THC may not be exactly <laughs> the route, but at least we're, we're seeing a chance for, uh, if not the swimming part, the generating of new sperm might be stimulated um, by something along that cannabinoid route. So we'll, we'll have to wait and see. All right. We have a question coming in from our chat room. Uh, Jackie Newbury wanted to know about this upcoming United Nations General Assembly special session and whether or not the things that happened there would have any effect on the DEA and their decision on rescheduling. Well, so that was how Harry Anslinger got cannabis made illegal in the first place, was he went to this big international thing like this and promised 
that it would be illegal. Then when they came back here, he said, well, we already promised. So I got to admit, I had a dream about two nights ago that uh, it did it did happen that way. And in truth, if uh, the international pressures are off, it would give the DEA a chance to say, well, in that case, uh, we'll just let the states decide and, you know, see what happens. Mm, looking forward. I really hope that has an effect. And we'll be out there in New York at the United Nations General Assembly. So uh, stay tuned next week, uh, Tuesday through Thursday, for our coverage. Uh, another study is out. It says marijuana could help treat diabetes. Uh, this kind of falls in line with some of the uh, research we've heard about BMI and, and uh, pot smokers being somewhat healthier. Uh, what's your take? Well, so in fact, I, I never really thought about this, and in part because uh, cannabis induces such uh, splendid enhancement of appetite, it had been a situation where people who, you know, didn't necessarily have the choices of snacks for diabetics around. This looked like a real problem. But as you've mentioned, the, uh, the BMI data have replicated twice now. So folks who use cannabis tend to uh, have basically uh, lower body fat per their height. And the chance to uh, sort of use this in, in line with that uh, and suggest that endocannabinoids are really part of the balancing of that system makes certain sense. However, I don't think it's going to be as simple as just uh, making sure you have lean proteins around every time you do a, uh, a vaporizer hit. So we'll, we'll have to see uh, how people react uh, on their blood sugar when they're smoking. And if that's the case, uh, we'll see if it could even out, essentially, or uh, keep the peaks and valleys from getting too extreme. I think there's some potential there, but the work has to be done. Have you thought about uh, all this research that comes in on diabetes and eating and metabolism? Uh, a lot of this, at least I assume, is marijuana being smoked or vaporized. Has anyone considered as edibles become more popular and, you know, cookies and gummy bears and sugary treats, could there be a difference there? And maybe maybe the edibles end up canceling out the good of the uh, of the THC. What's funny is, especially with that sugar, that would be the key thing. And I, I know one company was talking about trying to do a sugar-free lozenge, and I don't know what happened with that, but that, that may be the market to really, to really climb on because then you'd have that slow, steady-state absorption and could stay throughout the day. And if you're not adding sugar, it would, it would have a lot of potential. Hmm. I well, think we should call it the Russ Bellville lozenge. <laughs> yeah, I could use a few of those. Uh, <laughs> I've been sitting on too many airplanes and not running on enough treadmills. Uh, hey, before we run out of time, folks, I want to remind you that if you're shy and don't want to talk about your personal private business here on live talk radio, you can always send your questions in by email, and Dr. Mitch will be glad to keep it private and discuss it with you personally. The email address is 420research at gmail.com, 420research at gmail.com. And if you really like this topic and want to know more about the scientific and medical aspects of cannabis, make sure you tune into Dr. Mitch's podcast here on cannabisradio.com. It's uh, Burning Issues. And uh, do, can you tell us about uh, your latest episodes, maybe uh, some of the highlights? So uh, there's a, a classic old one with Rick Steves that people should definitely listen to. Uh, if only to you know enjoy Rick Steves talking about how great things are, and then I just had uh, Melissa Slavin on talking about cannabis and those menopause symptoms. Uh, we've also had um, you know just a, a lot of different folks who are also on the on the show. So 
if they want to hear you, if they want to hear Kyle Cushman, uh, it's interesting because, you know, when you're the host, you don't often uh, end up being the person who gets asked the question. So I, I tried to uh, make that uh, an, an aspect of the show. I also do that last little segment, uh, Self-Compassion and the Art of Activism. It's just about trying to make sure we all take good care of ourselves. And then the uh, political director at Normal, Danielle Keene, uh, just, we just posted her show. So she's uh, sort of giving folks a feel for what it means to be political director at Normal and uh, dropping some hints about the upcoming legislative lobby day. All right. And uh, we have one last question from our chat room. John Chambers wants to know, where does cottonmouth come from? Because not all weed strains seem to cause it. Uh, my wife made a vagina joke out of this one time, and I wish I could remember <laughs> it. <laughs> but no, it goes all the way back to, I don't know if folks remember Gallagher, that comic. Yeah. Um, I know he was one of the early users of it in, in popular culture, but I imagine it's sort of like 420 where everybody's got a legend about my brother's cousin's uncle made it up and, and how, how about <laughs> the, kind of the, the phenomenon itself of having dry mouth though? What, what's causing that? Oh, well, what's curious is it even uh, shows up after edibles with some strains. So it, I thought it was always smoke exposure, but it doesn't seem to be the case. And in part, the metabolizing THC and the cannabinoids does take water and suddenly that's water you, you know, have less of for keeping your mouth dry. Oh, so it's just a, a feature of metabolizing the THC. It seems like that's the case, uh, much like a side effect of, say, some of the antidepressant drugs or uh, other medicines that folks you know, use pretty often. All right. Well, Dr. Mitch, thanks for joining us. Uh, good luck on everything, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Looking forward to it. All right. Stay tuned. we got a radical rant next. Should non-tokers be in charge of regulating marijuana? This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Cannabis use isn't the only thing growing. So are we. Grow with us. CannabisRadio.com. Dr. Dabber, hurry. Its temperature is shooting past 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up. I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct. Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber, doctor's order. Less heat, <laughs> more flavor. Cannabis Confidential with Dr. Dina. Candid. I want to give you the inside story. Captivating. I want to introduce you to my kind and amazingly talented friends. Compelling. We get to meet some of the most amazing cannabis activists and warriors around. Listen in as medical marijuana pioneer Dr. Dina shares never-before-heard stories, chats with cannabis insiders and celebrity friends, and provides invaluable perspective and insight into one of the fastest-growing industries in the world. I want to share with you what was once confidential information. Let's expose the truth, discuss the issues, and learn the facts. Cannabis Confidential, only on CannabisRadio.com. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. I also believe we need a fence. 
The problem is if El Chapo builds a tunnel under the fence, we have to be able to deal with that, too. Okay. Maybe you're high, too. Hey, everybody, it's Radical Russ here from 420 Radio, inviting you to be like me and get your ink done at Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo, Fort Worth's most female-friendly, clean, sterile, awesome tattoo shop. Thomas and his crew are true artists who can design you a custom piece or use a design you bring in. Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo also offers all styles of tattooing as well as piercings and all-around fun. In the DFW area, stop by Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo and tell them Radical Russ sent you. Trust me, it'll feel awesome. must wage what I have called total war against public enemy number one. I support a change in law to end federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. That marijuana, pot, grass, whatever you want to call it, is probably the most dangerous drug. Some think there won't be room for them in jail. We'll make them. I experimented with marijuana a time or two, and I didn't like it and didn't inhale. One major responsibility is to encourage people to use less drugs. Entirely legitimate topic uh, for debate. Radical Rant. Well, today in the Radical Rant, I want to follow up on that story that was in our headlines, the story of Lori Ajax. Lori Ajax is the new California medical marijuana czar. Yeah, they, uh, the Governor Brown and those uh, MMSRSA uh, laws that have now regulated the medical marijuana industry in California, well, they now have this Bureau of Medical Marijuana, Bureau of Medical Marijuana Regulation, uh, which is great, first of all, uh, to have a separate bureau for that rather than having it under the control of you know alcohol beverage control or something like that. But she used to be the chief deputy director of the Department of Alcohol Beverage Control, ABC, they call it in California and a lot of states. And as the head of this new bureau, the very first person they appoint to a brand new regulatory bureau for medical marijuana in California has never smoked pot. At least, yeah, she's never smoked pot. She says, quote, Unlike regulating alcohol, I'm not a user of marijuana, so I'm not familiar with how that affects people or what it does. But from the outreach I've done since I got here, it appears there is a medical need, and I'm tasked with doing this, and I'm going to do it. And not only that, she's got no friends or relatives that use cannabis. Uh, I've heard stories, she says, and through my meetings with industry groups and legislators, I've heard stories of how it's helped people with cancer, end quote. Now, I'm not saying that you got to be a daily toker to run the medical marijuana bureau. And I'm not saying you even have to be a medical marijuana patient to run the bureau. But to have never used cannabis in your life and don't know anybody who uses cannabis in in their lives and being appointed the head of the bureau that's going to regulate medical cannabis – uh, it's got me scratching my head a little bit. It's one of them things that make you go, hmm, something that should be questioned. And, and if she was the fourth medical marijuana czar or the fifth or something, maybe, maybe then I'm not so concerned. But the first, you're going to step out of the gate and set precedent with all the initial regulations and decisions being made by someone who doesn't even know what marijuana does. Now, Sure, you can be educated about it. Sure, you can you can read books and you can talk to people and 
get all the education in the world. But without that actual real world understanding, that personal understanding of cannabis and how it works, how can you not be swayed by stereotype and prejudice and misconception? Even the, the, the person with the, the best of intentions who, who discards prejudice, discards reefer madness, does research, talks to people, learns the science, gets the facts, even someone like that, without the personal experience of cannabis, doesn't really know what they're talking about. It reminds me somewhat, remember that Rachel Dolezal case? Uh, the woman, the white woman up in Spokane who considers herself black and dresses and styles her hair black, but she's white. She's got white parents. She grew up in white culture, right? You remember that case. And she was the, uh, uh, was she the head of the Spokane ACLU, I think, or uh, NAACP, I think it was. And, and of course, there was a big furor over this because she's white and she's running an NAACP. And that's not exactly the problem because there are white people that run local heads of NAACPs around the country. Uh, not a majority, not even a large minority, but there are a few that do. I'm not, again, not saying you couldn't run it, but without that real world experience, can you, can you really get, can you really, as Heinlein would say, grok what you're dealing with? Like if we had someone who was in charge of LGBT uh, relations, who was straight and had no gay friends, would that feel awkward? Would that be strange? If it was someone who was in charge of some sort of disability uh, uh, bureau or, or department, some sort of regulatory agency regarding disability, who was perfectly able-bodied and, and knew no one in their friends or family that was in a wheelchair or had any sort of disabilities, would, would they have the right perspective to do the best job? And it's not just California. I'm picking on Lori Ajax here because, well, she's a Republican and she used to run booze. So <laughs> maybe, maybe I'm biased. I'm willing to admit. But this is not the, a singular case. In the state of Oregon and the state of Washington, our cannabis, our legal marijuana industries are regulated by liquor people. In Washington state, it was the Washington State Liquor Control Board, which got renamed the Liquor and Cannabis Board. But we're still talking about people whose primary background is liquor, who are either bar owners, bar distributors, brewers, lobbyists, somehow involved in the liquor world. In Oregon, it's the OLCC, the Oregon Liquor Control Commission. On that Oregon Liquor Control Commission, I followed them around. They had like state listening tour stops here in Oregon. And I followed them around and, and listened to their speeches. And at least three out of five of those people voted against marijuana legalization in this state. They openly admitted it on their tours and, and in their speaking, right? They voted against marijuana legalization. And I don't believe any of them have ever smoked pot. Maybe Michael Harper. He was in the NBA. But still, <laughs> I don't think any of them really smoked pot. So you got people that, and, and this is the other thing that concerns me even more so is that People whose background is strong on alcohol bring exactly the wrong perspective to regulating marijuana. 
Somebody sent me uh, from the chat room, they sent me a link to something uh, Mark Kleiman uh, was pointing out. And, and we'll be interviewing Mark Kleiman, uh, and we'll talk more about this in hour two. But Mark Kleiman, uh, who was Washington State's pot czar, is another one of these guys who, who made his bones by studying and, and dealing with the effects of alcohol as a social policy. And so they come to marijuana with all these inherent assumptions. One of, one of Kleiman's inherent assumptions is that marijuana, if it's legal and it's an open market and the taxes are low, it'll become really cheap. And then more people will use that and that will be bad. It's an inherent assumption because he comes from the alcohol world where alcohol, the lower the alcohol taxes get, the more people drink. And yes, the more drinking that goes on does have a terribly deleterious effect on society, right? Yeah, more drunk driving, more absenteeism, more illness, more death. Yes, you can see the definite correlation there in alcohol taxation, alcohol ability, availability, alcohol advertising, and the negative effects. So he comes with that assumption. And also the, the, the presumption that the 80-20 rule, you know, 80% of the booze is drank by 20% of the, of the drinkers, the alcohol industry must have heavy drinkers to survive. He brings that into marijuana. Ah, oh, well, see, marijuana, just the same way. 80% of the marijuana in the legal states is, is consumed by 20% of the users. But that's not a surprise because 80% of anything is consumed by 20% of something. <laughs> the 80-20 rule it works in just about every commodity there is. Regardless, the assumption that we got to keep the marijuana prices high, we got to keep the marijuana taxes high, we got to keep the marijuana availability difficult because otherwise cheap available marijuana, more people would smoke it. I don't believe it necessarily follows that more people smoking cheap available marijuana automatically leads to more terrible social harm because some of the benefits of marijuana are going to balance out some other social harms. More people smoking pot, less people drinking. That's a net good. More people smoking pot, less people taking opioid painkillers. That's a net good. More people smoking pot, less people using Ambien to get to sleep at night. That's a net good. So I don't think there's going to be the associated terrible risk effects we get from more alcohol use because alcohol again is toxic and addictive and that's the problem i've got with these alcohol regulators in california oregon and washington the whole west coast and i think alaska too isn't it there alcohol people running it in alaska i think i'm right on that the whole west coast from alaska to san diego their marijuana industry being run by people who bring alcohol assumptions and alcohol experience to the marijuana industry and have little to no experience with marijuana itself. I think of these boards, if, if it were a separate, if it were a new board created and solely stocked with people with experience in the marijuana industry and experience using marijuana, We'd find a whole different set of regulations coming out, a whole different way of looking at this. These alcohol people regulating marijuana are going to apply strict regulation, try to keep the prices high, try to keep the availability low, and all that's going to do is enhance all the worst aspects we're trying to get rid of from prohibition. We're trying to end marijuana prices being so high that high school kids can can make money dealing it in parking lots. That's one of the problems with it. 
unfortunately, they don't understand to get rid of the problems they think marijuana causes. The best solution, it might be counterintuitive to them, the best solution is to make marijuana as cheap and available as possible. We'll talk more in hour two about this. We gotta go. Hour one's up. For everyone here at CannabisRadio.com, I'm Radical Russ. Until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. It's time for Toker Talk Radio, the voice of the marijuana nation. What are you people? On dope? Or you can tell. I am here. Or you can talk. I experimented with marijuana and didn't inhale. Or you can talk and talk. Ten federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. While we talk about toke on Toker Talk Radio. So, by the way, when it comes to pot, you know, if you're 40 years old, you live in a log cabin in Oregon, you got 12 giant pot plants in your backyard, have a ball. Live from beautiful Potland, Oregon, at Rolla J Studios. Plus your calls, live at 971-533-7111. They're walking on their pants with their cap on backwards, listening to the end of a man, the Snoopy Snoopy Poop Dog. What's to keep somebody from getting all potted up on weed and then getting behind the wheel? Gateway theory doesn't work. It's a reality. Holland, is it real? Don't tease me. We're locking up people that take a couple of puffs of marijuana, and, and the, the next thing you know, they got 10 years. And now, here's your host, the guru of Gonta graphics, the sultan of sativa statistics, and the worst nightmare of a reefer-mad prohibitionist. A polite, perspicacious, productive pothead with a propensity for PowerPoint. Radical Russ Belleville. All right, welcome back, Tokers and Tokets. Glad to have you here. Hour two is happening right now on CannabisRadio.com, live and direct from beautiful, legal Potland, Oregon. We're still in the condo, 26th floor, overlooking the Willamette River, Mount Hood that way, and Mount St. Helens that way. Although I can't see Mount Hood today, well, a little bit. A little bit of cloud cover there, but we got most of it. Thanks for being here. And uh, again, some quick updates. The uh, RadicalRust.com site uh, just got updated as far as content. I added all my articles from the uh, from my recent posts over the past couple of months. So if you missed anything, they're all up there now. Also uploaded my uh, segments to the SoundCloud page, SoundCloud.com slash RadicalRust. If you missed any interviews or drug war data mining or behind the headlines or rants, they're all up there now as well. Please make yourself uh, make those available to yourself if you if you would like. They're available now for free, but they won't always be. 
I'm having to make some changes in the world, folks. First of all, I want to thank the uh, people at, Amer- at MarijuanaPolitics.com for the last, oh, six or seven months worth of blogging I've done for them. I got notice last night that they're going to have to lay me off for a while. So I won't be blogging regularly at MarijuanaPolitics.com. But I wanted to make sure I told everyone that there's no drama involved. We all love each other. Everything's still cool. It's just money, folks. Got to make money. They got to make money. I got to make money. So that's the situation for now. But I presume I'll be back there as soon as uh, it's possible. So hold on tight. And if you want to catch my writing, you'll still be able to read it regularly on HighTimes.com on Tuesdays and Fridays and on Huffington Post whenever I feel like it. But it looks like I'll be doing more blogging on RadicalRest.com. And that's the other note I wanted to leave you with is that we're going to be doing a redesign of the page. And RadicalRust.com is going to have uh, much more podcast focus and access to my uh, past highlights and so forth, uh, a calendar of all my upcoming events so you can uh, follow around or meet me up uh, wherever I might be, and all sorts of things. But uh, most importantly, we're going to reintroduce the VIP section. We're going to go back to having some Russ Belville Show VIPs. We did this at Cannabis Radio or at uh, 420 Radio for a while. And anybody who's a 420 Radio VIP will be grandfathered in automatically to be a Russ Belleville Show VIP. And I'm going to make all sorts of special stuff available, namely Toker Talk Radio. This hour you're listening to right now is going to go back to being a paid hour. You're going to have to be a paid VIP to be able to listen to the replays of hour two. It'll still be free on the stream on CannabisRadio.com live. But if you want the replays of hour two, that's going to go back into Russ Belville Show VIP membership. So that plus, I'm also going to be locking down the archives of the interviews and segments that I do. If you want to download the whole podcast of Hour One, that'll still be free. But if you want just the clipped up segments, that's going to be re- that's also going to require VIP access because, folks, I got to make some money. <laughs> I I love doing this. It's my passion. It's my dream. It's my mission. But I also got to buy plane tickets and hotel rooms and Ubers and, you know, eat now and then. So if you want to help out, please do. Uh, Right now you can do it by PayPal. If you want to donate, it's uh, PayPal, Radical Russ at PayPal. Uh, Radical uh, Russ at RadicalRuss.com. Let me get this right. Russ at RadicalRuss.com through paypal if you want to donate and we'll eventually get the buttons set up and the vip set up so you can do that automatically on the site sometime when i get some spare time <laughs> who knows when that'll be we gotta take a break back in two minutes and we'll keep talking about these uh, marijuana regulators who've never smoked pot what do you think of that we'll take your calls at 971-533-7111 this is the russ belleville show on cannabisradio.com We don't limit how much you smoke, and we don't limit where you listen. Cannabis Radio is now on iTunes, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. 
Gondrepreneur.com, helping Gondrepreneurs grow. I'm Radical Russ from the Russ Belleville Show. Senator Mark Madsen of Utah. Mark, welcome to the show. Everybody kind of turns a blind eye. They obviously have to go to some other state. Representative Lou Fredericks. We're going to get something on the order of nonviolent possession offenses. State Representative Kathy Tilton. Where does it go from personal use to commercial use? It's the Russ Belleville Show, the NPR of POT, weekdays live at 6 Eastern, 3 Pacific, exclusively on CannabisRadio.com. This is the Russ Belleville Show, annoying Kevin Sabat since 2012. Are you playing an acoustic guitar but want to be louder without an amp? Try a resonator guitar. The fingerboard extension has national resophonic and other resonators, square necks and round necks. Stop by the fingerboard extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. Go wild hog in the woods. Pod 2.0. It's not your father's Woodstock weed. This is the Rush Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everyone. Eight and a half after the hour. In the Radical Rant last hour, we were talking about these marijuana regulators all along the West Coast here who have no practical experience with marijuana, but lots of practical experience with alcohol. It's this tendency of these state governments to figure, well... A drug is a drug is a drug, right? Drugs a drug is a drug. Let's get some alcohol people to run the marijuana thing. Since they already know about running drugs, they already know about how to regulate drugs. Alcohol, marijuana, what difference does it make? Well, it makes a ton of difference. <laughs> alcohol regulators, by and large, don't know don't have to know a damn thing about horticulture. Yeah, there are hops farms and barley fields and so forth, but that's really, you know, not part and parcel of the alcohol process, right? I mean, that's, that's more of an agricultural thing. But with cannabis, that's like the thing. <laughs> that, that's the, that is the product, is the thing you're growing, right? Booze is something you make from some other agricultural product, be it fruit or grain, right? Juniper berries, whatever it might be. But the cannabis is the agricultural product. So right off the bat, they're different. You know, the alcohol regulators are regulating something that's being produced from agriculture. Marijuana regulators are regulating agriculture. And so so it opens up the thought of, well, why, why is that? Don't we already have bureaus that regulate agriculture? And, and in a lot of these states, in, in Oregon, uh, Department of Agriculture is being brought in on some of these uh, some of these items. And, and it should be. The departments of agriculture in all these western states should be brought in for consulting on, on what's going on with cannabis and, and, and what the regulations ought to be. But I just worry that these people coming over from alcohol, bringing all of the, the baggage and, and prejudice and preconceived notions that they might have with alcohol and any misconceptions they might have about marijuana to compound that, just a little worrisome. Now, Colorado went ahead and just started its own marijuana division. They have the marijuana enforcement division that they've had since medical. Uh, 
And generally, it's like when people discuss the marijuana laws across the country, Colorado is usually the one that's held up as the one that's working right as compared to Washington State. And Oregon will get its due. But generally, we look at Colorado as being the one that does it right. And, and how is I think a large degree of why is because they didn't let the, the liquor people run it. It got it got run by a completely new and separate division dedicated to marijuana. And I don't think the people in the division, the regulators themselves, have to have marijuana experience. But some should. <laughs> All right. And I don't mean they have to be smoking now, even if it was just the fact that they toked back in college once or twice, just so they know that the inhalation of marijuana smoke does not cause you to become some sort of wild raving lunatic or mad creature or anything like that, that they know from personal experience that, hey, you know, I smoked it and I got a little giggly and I got the munchies and we listened to a, a dead album and I went to sleep. Right. <laughs> Great. That was, even that would be more understanding than what the current California medical marijuana czar has. It's just, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm making too much out of it. Certainly there's a lot of people in a lot of government organizations that are running things that they don't particularly have personal experience with. I don't know. I just think marijuana ought to be one of those with a little more of the personal experience. All right. Let me talk about another issue going on right now. And that is this, um, <laughs> that is this uh, uh, post by Mark Kleiman. Now, Mark Kleiman is a professor of public policy at NYU, and he's the chairman of Botech, and he was Washington State's pot czar. And he's got the uh, Mark Kleiman Cannabis Science and Policy Summit happening in New York, April 17th and 18th. I'll be there. The website is cannabis-summit.org. And uh, it's going to be interesting because it's not just pro-legalization people like, I mean, Ethan Nadelman will be there. And I think, I don't know if normal's going to be there in any respect, but drug policy people will be there, but also the antis will be there. Kevin Sabet's going to be there, right? They're going to be the antis as well. And I think my feeling about this is that this is part of a, of an effort to marshal a coalition of non-prohibitionist anti-marijuana people. There is such a thing as a non-prohibitionist anti-marijuana person, right? I think that Kleiman and Sabet and a lot of these guys recognize, I mean, they're not stupid. They recognize it's over as far as hearts and minds go. It's over as far as the, having any hope of going back to slapping cuffs on people for marijuana. So I think this new coalition, this new Cannabis Summit idea is to start presenting policy options finally for marijuana legalization and policy options that will bend to their perspe perspectives that marijuana is a terrible, evil, bad thing that people shouldn't do. And public policy should reflect that by trying to incentivize them uh, to not use it. Whereas I think, and most of us listening, I think agree that there shouldn't be a good or evil intent with marijuana with respect to regulating it there should it's just a product it's just a product and it should be bought and sold so this will be an interesting thing and he's written this piece in huffington post that outlines a lot of what i'm telling you about his perspective 
And it's titled Six Undeniable Facts About Cannabis That Some People Are Still Denying. And he says there's a polarization of pro-pot and anti-pot, legalization or prohibition, and every factual claim is treated as an argument for one side or the other as a he said, she said dispute. And here's a partial list of what he says are some undeniable facts. Number one, cannabis prohibition is broken and can't be fixed. We agree with that. And marijuana is half of all drug arrests, uh, $40 billion market, and so forth. Number two, cannabis is an abusable drug and the rate of problem use has been soaring for two decades. I don't agree with this at all. The way what he is he is stating for cannabis abuse has been soaring for two decades is this. First, he says that uh, mostly prosperous and ambitious nineteen-year-olds started smoking mostly leaves with an average THC content of four percent. Don't have much relevance in an era when the typical smoker is much poorer, starts at sixteen, and is using material three or four times as potent. So, number one. He's saying there's a potency issue that, you know, we didn't have cannabis abuse back in the 70s because it was so weak. But now that marijuana is more potent, we've got more problems with people having cannabis dependence. You know, just like we had fewer alcoholics when there was only 3-2 beer. But then once we created liquor, we had more alcoholics because, you know, alcoholics only become alcoholics on whiskey and booze. They don't become alcoholics on just beer. I hope you recognize the sarcasm in my voice. That's absolute bunk. My dad was a beer drinking alcoholic. Okay. I understand the phenomenon. The, the, the potency is not what causes any sort of problem with the substance. Johan Hari, Dr. Carl Hart. So many people are coming out now and recognizing that the drug doesn't cause the addiction. The disconnection causes the addiction. The drug is for the most part irrelevant. Here's some of the other things uh, he uses to back up his point. This is a Kleiman's point of an a r- abuse rate. It's gone through the roof. He says, um, in 92, 11% of people self-reported using marijuana over the past month reported using it every day or almost every day. Okay. 11% of monthly tokers were using it almost every day. Since then, that figure has risen to 40%. So he's saying that Of the group of monthly tokers, about one out of nine used to smoke every day. Today, it's about two out of five that smoke every day. Ipso facto, more use means there's more dependence, right? But again, no, this is not a consideration. And again, he says about half of them by their own report have the symptoms of cannabis use disorder. Using more or more often than they intend, trying and failing to cut back, finding that cannabis interferes with other things they want to do, finding that it conflicts with others. Well, here's <laughs> the cannabis use disorder that he is des- describing is from the DSM-5 that lists a bunch of these considerations as to whether someone has a problem with marijuana. And the ones that he mentions here toward the end, you'll notice Finding that cannabis interferes with other things they want to do, like work or go to school, because it's illegal, because those places create rules that forbid the use of cannabis, even in off time. 
That's not a disorder for the person who's using cannabis. That's a disorder of the society that prohibits people from doing what they want on their off time. How many people would be considered alcoholics if they didn't stop drinking for a month or a week before a test and got tested for alcohol and somehow it turns up? How many people would be considered alcoholics if there were alcohol testing that could pick up whether or not you drank in the past week or month? And the other one, uh, finding that it causes conflicts with others. So someone doesn't like your pot smoking and you don't stop. You're the one with the problem. Okay. So that's the way this cannabis. So, so it's real slippery terms we're using here. I don't disagree. More people are smoking pot and smoking it more often. I disagree that that in and of itself defines a disorder. And furthermore, even if it does define a disorder, how much of that disorder owes to the prohibition of the cannabis? Beer. Beer. (laughs) Beer. We'll go over the rest of uh, Mark Kleiman's six undeniable facts. There's more for me to rant about on this. But for now, we got to take a break because it's 4.20 here in the Pacific Time Zone. That means it's time for our mandatory safety meeting. Get your orange vests on, folks. It's 4.20. Maui Wowie. Acapulco Gold. California Kush. Our strains stretch everywhere, too. This is the Cannabis Radio Network. Dr. Dabber, hurry! Its temperature is shooting past 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up! I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct! Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber, doctor's order. Less heat, more flavor. Hey, this is Willie Nelson for Norman. And I smoke pot and I like it a lot. I learned a long time ago that marijuana is a lot safer than alcohol. There's nothing wrong with the responsible use of marijuana by adults. It's time we stopped arresting and started respecting those who smoke marijuana responsibly. To learn what you can do to help, contact Normal at NORML.org or call toll-free 888-67-NORMAL. The Russ Belleville Show. Chat is for friends 18 and older. We expect our chat to be civil mature, and free from excessive profanity. If you don't like these rules, there are approximately 6 billion other chat rooms with lower standards that you can visit. With over six years of experience in the industry, New Era CPAs is one of the nation's leading cannabis accounting firms, helping hundreds of growers, dispensaries, and ancillary companies with their tax, legal, and business strategies. New Era CPAs offices cover the West Coast from Seattle to San Diego, and their skilled team is always available to help you take your business to the next level. Visit NewEraCPAs.com for more info and set up a consultation. Welcome to the New Era. Warning, hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. 
Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. <coughs> or at least they pay me to say that. This is Dan Michaels from danmichaelsaudio.com, and you're listening to Radical Russ on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everybody. 23 after the hour, and uh, we're discussing Mark Kleiman's post in Huffington Post about six undeniable facts about cannabis, and his number two fact has to do with the problem abuse of marijuana that has been soaring for two decades. According to Kleiman, 11% of monthly users were daily tokers in 92, and now 40% of monthly tokers toke daily. And they consume about three times as much cannabis per day as do less frequent smokers. And half of them have the symptoms of cannabis use disorder. Kleiman says that's about four million people in trouble at any one time. A distant second to alcohol, about 16 million, but way ahead of all the other legal drugs combined. The slogan about marijuana being non-addictive hasn't changed. Plenty of legalization advocates still insist that cannabis use disorder is imaginary, which would no doubt surprise the half million people who come in for treatment for it each year. But the reality has. All right, let's uh, let's take a look at these numbers. First of all, he says there's four million people in trouble at any one time. Four million people that are these cannabis use disorder troubled marijuana users. So. You know me, I, I look shit up. And uh, two of the things I uh, looked up were the National Survey on Drug Use and Health and the treatment episode data set. Now, the former, the National Survey on Drug Use and Health, is our survey of how much drugs people are using, how often, when they're using them, where they're using them, and so forth, how they're using them. And the uh, other one, the treatment episode data set, is the one that refers to rehab admits at any sort of rehab hospital that takes federal money in any way. This is not all the rehab hospitals. It's about 58% of them, but there are private rehabs where uh, they don't have to do the same sort of reporting. So let's take a look at these figures. First of all, the National Survey on Drug Use and Health. Uh, Kleiman says there's 4 million people with this problem, with problem marijuana use. So I, I looked up National Survey on Drug Use and Health, marijuana use in the past year. And let's see if we can get the, uh, that's percentages. Do we have the numbers? Oh, it's all percentages. Dog on it. I got the percentage table. Let's see. Well, I can probably figure out these percentages for you. So in the United States, total marijuana use, annual marijuana use, 12.9%. So, 320 million people times 0.129 gives us about uh, 4 million people. Am I getting that number right there? 41 million. 41 million people who've tried marijuana in the past year, who've used marijuana in the past year. And this is everybody 12 and older. Now, how many people are using in the past month? Says 7.96%. Of the people 12 and older are using monthly. So again, 320 million people times our 0.796. And that is going to tell us that we have about 25 million marijuana smokers. Monthly marijuana smokers. 
sure I got that number right. <laughs> I think I can do my, got to recheck my math on the fly, but I think I got it right. 320 million. Yeah. So 25 million monthly marijuana smokers and Kleiman says 4 million of them have got a problem. So four out of the 25 is roughly one sixth. So he's basically saying one out of six monthly marijuana smokers has a cannabis use disorder. Now, he also says that 4 million of the of that 4 he's also saying that um there are half a million that seek treatment for this cannabis use disorder. So, I've got some other data here and this is uh restricted to data that only goes up to 2010. I didn't have this updated since 2010. Things haven't changed much since then when it comes to rehabs. Uh, in 2010, there were 17 million monthly users. And there were 18,000 self-admittance to rehabs for marijuana. That is, people who decided of their own volition, they've got to go get treatment for their marijuana addiction, for their marijuana dependence. 18,000. Not half a million. Now, maybe he's referring to everybody who goes to rehab for marijuana. Maybe all of those people add up to a half a million, but not really. The total in 2010 for people going to rehab for marijuana was 137,000. Now, 137,000, if that's at uh, 58% of the rehabs, because again, it doesn't count all of the, the private rehabs, still we'd be talking about, even if we accounted for private, if it was at the same rate, you'd only have about 236,000. So where is this half million number coming from of people with this cannabis use disorder who are seeking treatment? I'm not seeing it in TEDS unless it's doubled since 2010. It's not as easy to get at the TEDS data anymore. They're, they're redesigning the website, and so I can't go straight to the tables like I used to. But at least back in 2010, there was one rehab admit one self-admittance one case of a pot smoker deciding he's got such a terrible problem he needs to go to rehab of his own volition one for every 944 monthly pot smokers one out of 944 monthly pot smokers decided pot was so terrible (laughs) they needed to go to rehab for it now if we count everybody that went to rehab whether they decided to go themselves or they were forced to go from their job, from their school, or from the criminal justice system, then it works out to one in 129. So we got a situation here where only one out of 129 monthly pot smokers thinks they've, or or has such a problem with marijuana that they end up in rehab. And of course, it's disingenuous of Kleiman to say half a million people have a problem with pot when a vast majority of them, over half are referred to rehab by the criminal justice system. You know, somebody that's uh, on probation, minding his own business, but then pees dirty on his, on his pee test, he ends up back in the criminal justice system. Does that mean that he has a problem with marijuana? Someone who gets in a car wreck for no fault of their own, gets T-boned, gets rear-ended, Cops investigate the scene. They find marijuana on the people or in the car. Does that mean they've got a marijuana use disorder just because they got run into? 
Getting caught doesn't mean you have a disorder. And again, that's why I have a problem. And, and you'll see so much of how Washington State's marijuana law and regulations have been worked out were based on the recommendations of this guy with these kind of preconceived notions. The idea that marijuana needs to be restricted and repressed as much as possible, but going short of locking people up for it. That's his, that's his attitude. That's why Washington State started off with a ludicrous state canopy limit. He recommended that. Kleiman recommended that there be a set limit of how much total square footage of marijuana could be cultivated in Washington. I think it was 2 million square feet when they started, something like that. Let's not consider what the demand is. Let's not consider what the supply is. Let's not consider what the, the, uh, how many licensees there'll be or how much they, how often they can. Let's just set a flat limit. That ought to be enough. 2 million square feet, that ought to be enough for everyone. And of course, this meant when Washington State first rolled out their marijuana program, marijuana was expensive as hell. There actually were $500 ounces for the first three, four, five months because there wasn't enough supply. There wasn't enough licensing. Everything was restricted and to be rolled out slowly and methodically. And it turned out to be the worst way to roll it out there ever was. Only now is Washington State starting to get a handle on its supply and demand issues. All right, let's look at the rest of uh, Kleiman's six undeniable facts about cannabis. He says, uh, three, legalization on the alcohol model is likely to make cannabis extremely cheap. Yes. He says, compared to current illicit market and dispensary prices around $10 a gram, he says that cannabis legally grown on an industrial scale would be under a dollar and perhaps as low as a dime. And as an example, he says a supermarket tea bag, which has about as much dried plant material as a joint, costs a few pennies. The drastic price decline will come as a shock to the people who are investing in elaborate indoor growing facilities in the hopes that they will be able to sell a legal product at an illegal price. That doesn't happen in a competitive market. Well, here, Kleiman and I are in agreement. Absolutely. Absolutely. This idea that we need to reproduce the sun indoors so that we can hide from the man and we can build a business model on selling vegetable material at 10 or $15 a gram is completely untenable. Marijuana grown on an industrial scale like hops, like wine grapes, like wheat, indeed will be below a dollar a gram, maybe a dime a gram. My only difference with climate is I think that's a good thing. I think that's a great thing. First of all, we shouldn't have massive indoor grows. That's exactly the opposite of the direction we need to be going for sustainability on this planet, using all that electricity to regenerate the sun that is already out there. Now, I think there will still be some indoor grows. People that want to grow, you know, uh, 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 heirloom strains and connoisseur cannabis and all that kind of stuff. Sure, there'll still be some indoor grows. I think a lot of them will move to greenhouse type grows. But really, the marijuana movement, the marijuana market should all be about as much outdoor as possible, as much sun-grown marijuana as possible. And the price declining to teabag prices is good. Teabag priced marijuana will have no black market. Is there a black market in tea? Anybody out there? Hustling Lipton tea bags on the street? Of course not. It's cheap as hell and you can get it anywhere. People that want to smoke marijuana are going to 
the cheaper it gets, the more they may smoke. That is probably true. I know I smoke more now that I have more access to it. But I do not believe my increased smoking of it or access to it has been a problem for me or for anybody. So the point he makes here with number three, he's trying to scare us, <laughs> but it doesn't scare us. It's, in fact, to achieve what the prohibitionists would like to see achieved about marijuana, make it unappealing to kids, make it no big deal, take away the, you know, take away the black markets. All those things are accomplished by making marijuana more accessible and cheaper, making it just a regular old vegetable commodity. Not a lot of people freaking out about zucchini out there. Why? Because every home grower has a garden with zucchini in it. You can't get rid of the zucchini. You got too much zucchini. I don't want your zucchini. That's where marijuana needs to get to. Marijuana needs to get to the place where people just don't. It's just no big deal. Who cares? It'll get there, folks. Trust me on that one. Most of us pirates, we go on vacation to North Dakota, you know, because they've got a town called Argusville. What are you smoking there, boy? This is Dan Michaels from danmichaelsaudio.com, and you're listening to Radical Russ on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everybody. I don't know what the hell happened with our software, but (laughs) we're back now. When in doubt, reboot. That's what you got to do. You got to reboot from time to time. Quick reminder, coming up at the top of the hour, Stoner Jesus coming to you from Stoner Heaven to save your stony soul. You know what you did. Come on now. You know what you did. (laughs) We're discussing Mark Kleiman's uh, article. And again, a reminder on uh, Sunday and Monday next week, I will be in New York City at Mark Kleiman's Cannabis Summit. You can find out more at Cannabis-Summit.org. And I'll be interviewing Mr. Kleiman, and I'll be uh, Dr. Kleiman, pardon me, and I'll be asking him uh, questions uh, about uh, some of these statements in his Huffington Post piece because, um, you know, from my point of view, I think he's wrong. We already covered the first three. Here's number four. He says, cheap cannabis is a threat to public health. Oh, no, public health. So he says that the massive rise massive rise in the prevalence of cannabis use disorder no doubt has many causes, but price is surely one of them. The cost of a gram of pot hasn't changed much in 25 years, but much higher potency at the same price per gram means the cost per hour of being stoned has fallen about a quarter of its 1992 level. A stoned hour now costs a user who hasn't built a tolerance something less than a dollar. Figure that a gram of mid-grade cannabis retails for $10. That joint has four-tenths of a gram. That joint will get two people stoned for three hours each. That's six stoned hours for four bucks worth of cannabis. And the problem is what? <laughs> we've, we've made it cheaper for people to get high, so now they don't. it's more potent, so they don't have to smoke as much pot. They don't have to inhale as much smoke into their lungs to enjoy the same high. And... It costs relatively less, so there's less incentive to commit crimes for it or anything. It's taking less away from people's paychecks and bills and everything. This is a problem somehow, right? He goes on to say, 
With cannabis already a cheaper intoxicant than alcohol. Again, it's not an intoxicant. Mr. Kleiman, intoxicant has the word toxic in it. It means something that can kill you. Intoxication from alcohol is literally the effect of your brain being poisoned by a toxic substance. That is what intoxication means. You cannot be intoxicated by cannabis. You can be impaired. You can be lifted. You can be altered. You can be all sorts of things. You can be high. You cannot be intoxicated. But anyway, he says, with cannabis already a cheaper intoxicant than alcohol, the case against letting the price fall even lower seems very strong. Since there's no historical experience with very potent cannabis at very low prices, it's not possible to estimate how much heavy use would increase, but it would be no surprise if $2 per gram retail marijuana was accompanied by another doubling in the prevalence of cannabis use disorder, aka people using it often. Again, this cannabis use disorder he keeps saying is people who use cannabis often. And a lot of this cannabis use disorder, about half of the symptoms of it are the effects of prohibition trying to force you to stop cannabis when you don't want to. He says that wouldn't be history's greatest disaster, but it's worth avoiding if possible. Well, what do you do to avoid it? To avoid it, you have to keep the price artificially high. You have to find some way. He says at the beginning of that, you know, the, it, the case against letting the price fall even lower seems very strong. Okay, so if the price now, as he mentioned, a mid-grade gram is 10 bucks, he thinks that's where it ought to stay. Cannabis ought to stay at $10 a gram. That translates to $280 ounces, maybe a $200 ounce with the price break. So as far as Kleiman's concerned, 200 bucks an ounce is as low as it ought to go. Well, guess what happens if you maintain that artificial price support through taxes, tariffs, excises, whatever it might be, artificially restricting the supply, artificially restricting the retail outlets, whatever you do to keep that price at 200 bucks an ounce means a market for a black marketeer who will provide it for 180. You know this, Mark. (laughs) You know this. You know any artificial price support on marijuana is going to enhance a black market. It can't not. We already see it with tobacco. We see it with cigarettes. Oregon has a massive cross-border traffic in tobacco into Washington State because Oregon's pack uh, tax on a a cigarette pack tax is like a buck, and Washington's is like three bucks. We see the same thing in Virginia to New York. In New York, it's like, what, eight bucks for a pack of smokes in Manhattan? And you can get them for four bucks in Virginia, and less if you buy them by the carton. And people literally take vans down to Virginia and fill up vans full of cigarette cartons and take them on up to New York to sell them. And that led is what led to Eric Garner getting his life choked out of him by the NYPD. Allegedly selling Lucy's loose cigarettes without taxes because the cigarette prices are so high in New York and people addicted to nicotine will buy it. Do-gooders here want to fix the public health by keeping the price of harmful things artificially high. And they do succeed to some extent in doing that. But in doing so, also create the consequence of a black market. And how much does that black market affect public health? In the case of cigarettes, not as bad as the cigarettes themselves. So maybe there's some argument there keep the price artificially high. There's a few people that sell black market cigarettes, but it doesn't lead to gang violence and shootouts in the street. But marijuana prohibition does. 
keeping that marijuana price artificially high will keep the gangs in business. And as marijuana is legal, see, the $200 ounce in the illegal marijuana market or the $300 ounce of the five, whatever the price is, but in the illegal marijuana market meant that the legal or that, that the, the illegal purveyors had to suffer all of the possible risks of prohibition and account for that in their production. But under a legal marijuana world, they face far fewer risks in getting caught doing what they're doing illegally. So they have even greater ability to sell that marijuana at a price lower than what you're artificially keeping marijuana priced at. It's this fear that Kleiman keeps trying. There's this mystery fear of, oh, my God, what if there was a whole bunch more cannabis use disorder? Oh, my God, what if we had it? It's the stoned society fear. This goes back to Linkletter and Nixon. Oh, we don't want to be a stoned society. But again, there's no consideration of what the increased use of cheaper marijuana would offset, not just with people not drinking as much alcohol, but using aspirin, Advil, Tylenol, Pepto-Bismol, Ambien, Lunesta, Oxycontin, Fentanyl, Morphine, Oxycodone, Vicodin. I mean, I could go on and on. So yeah, maybe if weed is super cheap, there's some stoners out there that will use too much of it and have a problem with it. But how many more people will get off Oxy? How many more people will drink less? How many more people won't wreck their livers with acetaminophen? Those considerations are never addressed in these points by Mark Kleiman. Here's the other point. And this is the big marijuana point. He says the interests of the industry conflict with the public interest. This again is his alcohol industry just depends on problem drinking. 80% of the sales are to people who drink two or more drinks a day. 50% of sales are to people who average four or more drinks a day. So he says that uh, though most drinking episodes are not drinking binges, still 47% of all drinks are consumed as part of, drink, of binges. So about half of alcohol is part of binge drinking. But what they call binge drinking is five or more drinks in a sitting for men, four or more drinks in a sitting for a woman. So I, I'm a 250-pound I'm a guy, generally. <laughs> My weight fluctuates. Not low enough. But anyway, <laughs> I'm a 250-pound guy. If I go out with friends to a bar to listen to a band or whatever we do at a bar, I, I don't go to bars, but <laughs> let's, let's say, let's pretend I do. If I go to a bar and I'm going to drink and I'm going to be there for a four hour show from band and I drink five beers, I'm not even going to be close to buzzed by one in the morning. That's, that's a beer every 50 minutes or so, 45, whatever. You think one beer in me over a 45 minute period is going to have any sort of deleterious effect. You're crazy. But technically speaking, me going to a club and drinking a beer per set over a five hour set of a band, that would be binge drinking. And that's what Mark Kleiman would be calling this half of all, pro of all drinking, the problematic side. Somebody, somebody who drank a beer an hour at a bar over five hours. I'm sorry, that doesn't sound very problematic to me. But he tries to extend this analogy to cannabis. He says, 
20% of the past year users who are daily or near daily users account for more than 80% of the cannabis consumed. Well, yeah, of course, people using something every day are using more of it than people who use once a month. Like, like stating this, like it's a shocking fact is, is somehow weird to me. I don't, I don't, I don't get why that, you know, 80% of the miles that are run in America are run by people who do marathons. Well, yeah, because <laughs> they're running more money. It just seems like such an obvious thing, but he wants to, to say that this is a commercialization problem, that this is going to lead to the marijuana industry trying to push people into having, to smoking as much pot as they can, as often as they can, everywhere they can. The marketing of pot, the popularization of pot. Folks, pot doesn't need marketing and popularization. It's got it. It already has it. And the pot industry doesn't have to lie or push its product. Alcohol does because alcohol, when you get down to it, doesn't taste good. <laughs> People, I, I, oh, this wine has a fruity, oaky flavor. And yeah, sure, whatever. But at the back of it, it's alcohol. And alcohol, your body naturally goes, ah, <laughs> that's a poison. Marijuana doesn't have that problem. We don't have to try to sugarcoat what we're selling like the tobacco or alcohol industry does. Alcohol industry has to sugarcoat around the idea that, oh, yeah, well, it does make people beat their spouses more. And it does sometimes make people puke on their shoes. And every now and then someone who drinks gets in a car wreck. And there's a lot of you know fights. People get in fights in bars. There's a lot of negative stigma to overcome with, with alcohol when you're trying to sell it. And the marketing to kids angle, like with what tobacco did. Yeah, because anybody over the age of 18 who smokes a cigarette goes, ugh, fuck, that sucks. That's gross. Jesus Christ. <laughs> and doesn't take it up. You have to be a young kid for you to overcome that natural revulsion to tobacco through the use of peer pressure and the feeling of being cool and accepted and adult. That's why tobacco had to market to kids. Marijuana doesn't have to do any of these things. It's, again, taking these concepts from the world of tobacco and alcohol and thinking they're somehow analogous to cannabis when they're not. Alcohol and tobacco are toxic and addictive. They had to lie. They had to recruit kids. They have to glamorize it. Marijuana is neither toxic nor strongly addictive. Marijuana has medicinal benefits that alcohol and tobacco lack. Marijuana is a substitute for many common medicines. It's not alcohol or tobacco. All right, stay tuned. We'll be back with Close Up Shop and get you ready for Stoner Jesus at the top of the hour. I'm Radical Russ, live in Portland, Oregon. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Seed to sale, clicks to conversions, and more. You're listening to the Cannabis Radio Network. Northwest Alternative Health, Eugene's premier medical marijuana clinic, is proud to sponsor the Oregon Marijuana Business Conference. Are you prepared for the changes in the recreational and medical marijuana markets? The OMB presents the state's top industry experts, along with over 40 exhibitors, and features a keynote by Dr. Carl Hart. 
Also, tickets include a celebrity interview and private after party with the one and only Tommy Chong. Join us Sunday, April 24th at the downtown Eugene Hilton and be a part of Oregon's fastest growing industry. Check out OregonMBC.com for more details. It's time. It's time. It's time. It's time. The time has come to end prohibition of marijuana in Vermont. It's time. It's time. It's time for marijuana sales to take place in regulated businesses and stop taking place in our neighborhoods. It's time. It's time. It's time to create rules for testing and labeling marijuana so that consumers can know what they're getting. It's time. It's time. It's time to stop punishing adults for consuming a product that's less harmful than alcohol. And spend more time addressing serious crimes. Prohibition has failed. It's time for a more sensible approach. S-241 would end prohibition and regulate marijuana in Vermont. We are ready. We're ready. We're ready. We're ready. We're ready. Vermont is ready. Contact a representative now and ask them to support S-241. It's time to end prohibition and regulate marijuana in Vermont. Marijuana is not addictive, but listening to the Russ Belleville Show is... Don't want to spend money on a night out, but don't know what to do other than watching TV or playing video games? Consider playing guitar, bass, banjo, or mandolin. The instrument will give you hours of entertainment with friends with minimal expense. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension, downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today, or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. You're tuned into the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation, only on CannabisRadio.com. Well, that's easy for you to say, Dan Michaels. Welcome back, everybody. Closing up shop here and getting ready for Stoner Jesus, coming to you live at the top of the hour from Stony Heaven. And uh, before we go, last bit here from the Mark Kleiman uh, six undeniable facts about cannabis. Number six... There are many alternatives to current laws, and the differences matter. This is where he talks against a for-profit commercial model like what we've got in Washington, Oregon, Colorado, and Alaska, and says, we could do a grow-and-give like Washington, D.C. Right, but then you'd still have no place to buy cannabis, and you'd still have a black market of people selling it. He says there could be small-user co-ops like the cannabis clubs in Spain. Yeah, you could do that, but... If someone didn't belong to a co-op, they'd have to get their marijuana somehow, and it would come from a black market. He says the industry could be limited to nonprofits like the Red Cross is, right? Okay, you could have nonprofits that are running marijuana. That'd be fine. Um, but uh, I don't see a problem with that. Uh, cannabis could be sold in state stores, state-run pot shops. Who's growing that pot? The state? Okay. He says any one of these would create opportunities, would avoid creating opportunities to get rich by cultivating cannabis dependency among unwary users. See, he's got this idea that we pot smokers, in the face of marketing from big marijuana, will be helpless, helpless, I tell you, in the throes of cannabis dependency. (laughs) Okay. But he goes on to say some of his suggestions. And they include... High taxes based on THC content rather than weight. Like 
if you got 25% weed, it would be 25% tax. And if you got 15% weed, it would be 15% tax. Something like that. He also thinks there ought to be strict regulations on marketing, somehow getting around the commercial free speech doctrine. And sales personnel could be licensed and required in pharmacology and prevention of substance abuse. Yeah, that's what I want. I want my bud tender evaluating whether or not I need to go to rehab. And he says users could be allowed to set monthly purchase limits for themselves with the vendors required to enforce those limits. <laughs> yeah, and he says he'd, he'd propose that for alcohol too, folks. Can you imagine that? Telling your uh, 7-Eleven, don't let me buy more than a case a month. I'm Radical Russ. That's all the time we got. Stay tuned for Stoner Jesus. For everyone here at Canvas Radio, until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a scene, you manage, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a scene, you manage, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes.